Ever get the feeling that something isn't quite right in your life? I call it a talking heads moment. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? (laughs) I think this feeling is universal. I think at some point we all have a moment where we are forced to stop and evaluate. Am I actually living the life I want to be living? And what happens after you sit with that question is the tricky part. It's one thing to have the talking heads moment. It's another thing altogether to sit with it and deal with it. My guest today is Shelly Paxton, author of Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. And here's the thing about Shelly. She was a corporate rock star living the corporate American version of the feminist dream. She was chief marketing officer of one of the most macho, badass brands in the world, Harley Davidson. And she was leading a pretty fancy life, making all the money and making all the connections. And, you know, she had arrived. And yet she had some talking heads moments. I invited Shelly to come on this podcast for one big reason. Not many of us are brave enough to sit with the question, is this the life I really want to be living? And even fewer of us are brave enough to heed the call of the soul. Shelly has done both and come back to share what I think is a fantastic idea, the idea of taking a soulbatical. I'll let Shelly explain the concept, which is really actually a process, which is really actually a movement, but something else you should know about Shelly. She and I met on a writing retreat in Carmel. In fact, to be specific, we met on one of Linda Sievertson's Carmel Writers Retreat. And in the show notes, I will link to it because it's pretty freaking fabulous. And what I worked on during that retreat eventually became this podcast, which will hopefully someday become a book. And what Shelly worked on in that retreat became this book, which is now, you know, you go to the bookstore and it's sitting there next to like Deepak Chopra and Brene Brown. I mean, get it, Shelly. And look, I could spend pretty much an entire episode explaining what it's like to be on a writing retreat where somebody cooks for you and cleans for you and takes care of you so that you can focus on your art. I mean, like I have no words. It was heaven. But listen, the soul is calling and we have the queen of the soulbatical in our midst. So I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let Shelly help you heed the call of your soul. Enjoy. I just want to say, girl, I had so much fun reading your book. Oh, thank you. Your personality shines on every page. And I'm not going to lie. I, I was not mad at the fact that my name pops up. <laughs> I was like, yep, that's me. That's me. It was so fun. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. That was that's my book, baby. That was a labor of love, my friend, as you well know. I think the question that sort of opens the book and that anybody that gets the book is going to be asking, which is, Shelly Paxton has the ultimate gig for a marketer, which is being, you know, sort of shepherding one of the biggest, most exciting brands in the world, which is Harley Davidson. Why did you leave it? What are you, crazy? Totally. And as you read in the book, I said, everybody in my world thought I was batshit crazy. So yes, I acknowledge that. You know, the other thing I think that's important to acknowledge is, 
you know, I was so aware. I think the reason why I didn't leave my career for so long is because I acknowledged that I was like, I was privileged and I knew I had such good fortune and that I'd had, like, I, I worked my ass off for it, but I had this string of luck and good fortune and, and great opportunities that led me to basically being the chief marketing officer of one of the sexiest, most iconic brands in the world. So it was a very, very hard decision. But the answer to your question is, you know, I had this tension and this conflict. And it was, in essence, I felt wildly successful on the outside if you pegged me against any of the traditional measures of success. And I felt really like I was dying a little bit on the inside. I call it in the book, like I didn't feel successful. I felt success empty. And I challenged myself to say, okay, are you willing to take a risk? And I gave myself some runway to invest in the possibility of my future self. And I had no idea, as you know, from having read the book and from knowing me, what that was going to look like or where it was going to lead me. And the chances were just as good that I was going to end up back in corporate America because I couldn't yet see the journey that I was going on. Yeah. And you, and you, it was also like you felt success empty, but also your body was starting to talk too, right? I mean, I think that drives a lot of us to look closely at our choices of where we spend our time and how we spend our time. Cause you make your soul sick long enough, it starts to show up in the body. It's so true. And I use that exact phrase, soul sickness, not, not as if I coined that phrase, but it was, I couldn't think of another way to say it. Like, and I kept saying over and over to myself, like I'm making sacrifices for salary over soul. And that's one of the, like the sort of reigning themes that I realized as I was looking back, but I had, as you've read, I had so many instances in my life where I was what I call shooting all over myself, right? <laughs> I was I was like, well, I should stay in corporate America or on the corporate track because I've invested all of this time and energy. I should bend over backwards for these jobs because they're paying me really good money. And that's what I see happening around me. Everybody at this level gives, you know, 24-7, seven days a week on the road all the time. That's what people do, right? And that's what I was seeing around me. And my body was sending me signals left, right, and center. I had a, I, I made the decision to go over to Shanghai, China for an assignment because it was, I literally had such raging imposter syndrome that I thought, well, if I say no to this assignment that the company really wanted me to go on, I'm like, they're going to discover that I'm not really fit for this role, that I'm not really as talented as they think. Like, I literally thought that. And so I chose going over and doing this, it, albeit it was a short-term assignment, but I made the choice over staying home, taking care of myself and continuing to try to have a child with my husband at the time. Mm-hmm. Like Those are the kinds of extraordinary decisions that I was making and not really blinking an eye. And my body was like, oh, hell no. And I got really, really ill for about a year after that. I was at the Mayo Clinic being treated for this bacterial infection in my whole digestive system that had magnified from something that I ate in China. And then my body started sending me, actually my body and my mind started sending me very different signals when I was at Harley. 
And the book opens by talking about this nightmare that I was having for the entire final year that I was at Harley. Yeah. And if that isn't, if that isn't like a signal, a not so subtle one of like, wake up, like this same nightmare of seeing my dog that had passed away five or six years prior and discovering in my nightmare that he's still alive, locked up in this little utility closet, clinging to life. And I would discover him nearly every night of the week. But then when when you peeled back that story, what did Mocha represent? What did your dog represent? What did, what did you discover about yourself in that? Yeah, this is crazy. And honestly, Bronwyn, like looking at this in hindsight, I'm like, how did it take me months to figure this out? But the short version of the story is after this nightmare was ripping me out of my sleep night after night, I finally went to the doctor who kind of did our executive physical stuff at Harley. And I said, I need help. Like, I think I'm going crazy. And he had me start a meditation. It was my very first exposure to any sort of regular and consistent meditation practice. He gave me a couple of things to read and I started meditating. And through my meditation over the course of another month or two, I started like seeing this pattern and then almost chanting this pattern of acknowledge me, listen to me, love me, nurture me. And I'm like, oh, so I thought that was like Mocha speaking to me. And then through a series of things that I saw, I realized that it Mocha was a proxy for my soul. And that ripped me apart. And that's what I realized was that kind of, you know, we all have those, or many of us have those little niggling feelings that we try to push down or we try to ignore. And that's what it was for me. I was trying to ignore that I wasn't living in alignment with my soul. And I was trying to ignore all these signs from the universe, really. And and I feel like one of the things that I loved about your movement and the soulbatical concept is that I think at this stage in human evolution and consciousness, I think we have lower and lower tolerance levels for silencing our soul and just moving through the motions and doing the thing and being the Willie Loman, you know, death of a salesman day in, day out. Eventually, shit starts to break down. We get sick. We have chronic nightmares. We develop addictions. Like, I just feel like what I'm praying people get from this conversation and from your book is that you're not saying that everybody needs to quit their job and go travel the world and find themselves. What you're saying is what? Yeah. Thank you for highlighting that too. That's a really, really important message. because I think it's easy to look at this book on the surface and say, oh, how nice for you. You know, you could afford to leave your job and, you know, go travel for a year. And the reality is that was the journey that I'm on. And now three years later, I'm so much more enlightened as to what sabbatical really means. I was taught a lot of lessons along the way. So what what sabbatical really is to me is a way of life. And there's so many different ways to step into this. But the way I, I think to me, like, The easy button version of this is become chief soul officer of your own life. And maybe just to take a quick step back, this idea of chief soul officer, I literally overnight just kind of came up with this idea of, well, let me say it this way. When I was leaving Harley Davidson and everybody thought I was absolutely insane, I was really struggling to find a handle 
to give people to understand what I was doing, that this wasn't like, oh, I'm throwing my arms up and leaving my career. This wasn't your average sabbatical. This was something very different. Like this was really kind of me mining myself and really trying to understand what is my soul trying to tell me, right? And so I woke up one morning, it was probably my second day after I left Harley. I think it was a long weekend when I first left Harley. It was like a Labor Day weekend. And then that next morning I woke up and I was like, I went on LinkedIn and I was desperate to help people understand what this was. (laughs) Yeah, right. I love that it all comes to crystallization on LinkedIn. (laughs) I know. Isn't that funny? I was like, I think in the book I say like, it was like the arbiter of all things respectable, right? And and in in my world at the time, that was so true. And I mean, I think LinkedIn ha- has tremendous value, right? And, and all of social media has its pros and its cons. But I was really looking at that as like, that's the thing that makes you legit. Like that's, <laughs> I mean, that's how crazy I was, right? So I went on there, as you do when you leave a position, you go on to LinkedIn, and you're like, okay, you know, close the Harley chapter, open new chapter. And I stared at a blank page. And so I just kind of paused because I was like, like exactly the gasp that you just made. Like that was it for me because I was like, oh my God, what do I say? What is my identity now? Because all my identity had ever been for 26 years was these big brands and these titles. And I didn't realize how caught up in that that I was (laughs) and how much unraveling I was going to have to do around my identity. And then the next morning, it was like a gift from the universe. I woke up and I had this crystal clear understanding that I was going to be chief soul officer of my own life. And I was going on this journey called soulbatical. They literally just came to me. Wild, right? That's one of the things I love about your book is that not, not everybody speaks soul. And people that don't speak soul yet are going to have a much easier time learning how to do this from somebody that's from the corporate world, right? That came from that buttoned up, I'm on a path, I'm kicking ass, I'm here for the title, I'm here for the money, I'm here for the prestige, I'm also here because I'm an ass kicker type A. And because you've you've walked that path and you've created this, I think that's what makes your process so powerful. So when you say, going back to you were saying like the easy button version of this is to become chief soul officer of your own life. That does not mean you have to drop everything and set fire to your world, right? No, no, exactly. And in fact, most of my clients, like I've had, I've definitely had clients who said, I want to work with you because I'm ready for a transition. But I would say the majority of my clients really want to live and lead more authentically and courageously and on purpose. And they want to align more of their life against their values and their soul, if that makes sense. Yes. That's going to look different for everyone. And and as you know, from the very beginning of the book, I make that clear. Like I'm super clear about what my journey was because I didn't know where I was going. I was just carrying this big torch going, God, I hope I emerge from the cave. (laughs) This is all over. I have no idea what I'm doing. And when I did emerge from the cave, I realized, oh, I went on this journey because my mission and my calling was to share it with others and help others 
others understand how to connect with their values, their purpose, align with their soul, like really listen to themselves. Because I think as part of what you mentioned earlier, as part of like our over-medication, our over-stressing, like we're validating all the wrong things, especially in US corporate culture. And there's just so much, you know, testosterone in it. And there's just so much like, uh, you know, overgiving there and, and boundaries are just falling. And not a lot of joy, like despite all of this money, all of, especially because, you know, I live in Silicon Valley where it's just, it, it's just, it's just the wealth out here is insane. Not everybody, obviously, but there's so little joy. There's so much money and so little joy. There's so much grouchiness and hecticness and stress and strain and judgment and mange, you know? So imagine somebody's listening to this podcast and they're like, oh my God, that's me. I'm so miserable. I don't know where to begin. Would you say that sabbatical isn't about like knowing where the end of the journey is? Like it's a series of little breadcrumb trail, pick, you know, moments of picking up breadcrumbs. What's the first micro step that people can take? There's an exercise that I have people do, and anybody listening to this could do this easily. Pull out a piece of paper, a blank sheet of paper, at the top of the page, write my life, and then put a line down the middle of the piece of paper. On the left-hand side, entitle that column, Soul Fuel. On the right-hand column, entitle that column, Soul Sucks. (laughs) And then, then give yourself... Five minutes on each column. Do them separately. Give yourself five minutes on soul fuel. Give yourself five minutes on soul sucks and just stream of consciousness, right? Everything you can think of. And when you think of soul fuel, think of the things that like energize you. Think of the things that bring you joy and fulfillment. Think of the things you love to do so much that you lose track of time while you're doing them. That's the kind of stuff that you think of uh, when you're on the soul fuel column. And then literally just start stream of consciousness scribbling until the five minute buzzer goes off. Then do the soul sucks. And when I say soul sucks, I think it's probably pretty obvious to most people. But when I say soul sucks, it's like, what are those things that drain you with energy? Who are those people that are energy vampires in your life? And by the way, in both columns, we're talking about people, places, activities, things, anything. All of those are fair game. And when you're finished with that, so 10 minutes is now up, just sit back and look at the list. Give yourself a couple of minutes to simply reflect. Like, what do you see? What surprises you? What scares you? Right? Like, what inspires you? And I'll tell you, in most cases, when I do this exercise, the soul sucks list is longer than the soul fuels list. Absolutely. And so a micro step is one, understanding that, and then starting to prune the biggest soul sucks from your life. Yeah, to the to the extent you can, or at least make a plan to. I remember I went through kind of the same, not the same exercise, but the same awakening years ago when I was, I'd been in, at, at that point, I'd been doing PR for like 15 years or something like that. And I was like, oh my God, I used to love this job. 
I don't love it anymore. In fact, I fucking hate it. And I remember sitting there going like, oh my God, this, this is so devastating because I built my career around the single track. Now what do I do? And so I started doing that kind of exercise, but just on PR. Like what about PR still nourishes me and makes me feel joy and taps my talents and creativity? And what popped out was coaching, the speaker coaching, the media coaching, helping people shine. Like I still love that and I'm really good at it, but the stuff I don't want to do anymore, I don't want to pitch reporters. I don't want to go on press tours. No, thank you. I don't want to pitch other people to be speakers. I want to be the speaker. And so by doing that, I was able to make a plan to turn, you know, at that point, if my work was a pie chart, my income was a pie chart, it was 100% public relations. And over the course of, I think it took me five years, but I turned that into 0% public relations, 100% coaching. And I even made up more. You know what I mean? Brilliant example. Yes. So I feel like that beautiful process of what's the soul suck, what's the soul feeding, you can use that broadly in your life, but also just use it in your work. Like if there's a part of you that does like it, some people might be able to just even use it that way. I think it's absolutely right. And I'm guessing that some of what was in the soul fuel column were like, yeah, that's what fuels me. That's where my real passion is. So then how do you start to, yeah, swing the pendulum in that direction? So how do you start to say no to some other things that are clearly eating into your life so you can create more space to do more of what you want to do and maybe start to make the shift and the transition in the same way that you did, right? But we have to create that space. That's exactly right. And and as you talk about in your book, and hasn't it been your experience that once you take little tiny steps towards your soul and what your soul is telling you, the universe just meets you. Like crazy opportunities fall out of the sky, right? The universe, like, and this is my whole story. Once I fully committed, and believe me, it took me a long time to fully commit to, yes, I'm going to be a coach and a speaker and an author because I was scared. I was scared that no one would pay me to do this work. I was scared that I didn't have credibility in this space. And so I was doubting myself. And as long as I was doubting myself, the universe wasn't flinging those doors open. As soon as I said, I'm 100% in, I'm believing in myself. And I started to take baby step after baby step after baby step. And that's all we ever really know, right? We only know what is the next right step. We as humans don't know exactly where we're going to land. Things change and doors open along the way. So it's having that trust and that faith in the universe and also in yourself. So I think that's an important piece of it. And I think something that got, I think, maybe a little buried in what we were just saying that I want to call out is... There's a big component here where you do have to learn to say no. I think so many of us, especially women, we say yes when we feel obligated or we feel guilted into something or we feel a shoulding happening where it's like, oh, well, I should do that because the other moms at the school are doing that. Or I should do that because that's what, you know, that's what the other executives in this company are doing. Whatever that looks like, we have to get really clear with ourselves about saying no to others so we can say yes to ourselves more often. And to me, that's another micro step that can be taken. It's a really one of my favorite exercises that I included in the book was 
what asking yourself when something comes up, because I know I have this challenge. If it's coming up and somebody says, okay, so we're sitting here at the end of 2019 and somebody says, hey, in April of 2020, I would love you to do this thing. And I'm kind of meh on it. You know, I'm like, oh, I could do that. I couldn't do that. But because it's so far away, I like sell out my future self. Yes. Oh God, Shelly, I do the same thing. Oh, I know it's crazy all the time. So there's a great Derek Sivers who started CD Baby and is just an amazing entrepreneur. And he has a great book as well, although I'm not going to remember off the top of my head what his book is. That's okay. I can throw it in the show notes. Yeah, perfect. He's got he's got this question I love. What if this was happening two days from now? Would I still see it as a priority? I mean, that to me, that's been a heavy hitter in my world yeah. because it brings me back to my present self, to what my priorities are. And it really helps me get clear, is this something that's important to me? And will it serve my agenda? Will it serve my soul? Or is this something I'm doing for other reasons like guilt, obligation, et cetera? I freaking love that like crazy. I mean, I, I literally right now on my whiteboard, Shelly, it says, the answer is no, unless it's epic. That's literally written down. So I'm so with you. But do you find that some people are so unaccustomed to knowing what it feels like when it's a soul yes, that they have a hard time saying no to things because they don't know how good it feels that when you say no to somebody else, you're saying yes to your soul. Is that like a muscle we have to build up and get used to feeling? It is so a muscle we have to build up. And in fact, I talk about in the book, and I think it might even be one of the steps as we're talking about these kind of soul steps to to carry you forward. I talk about spending time with ourselves. Amen. Amen, girl. I think it's really, really important that we learn how to spend time with ourselves instead of looking outward, that we start to learn to look inward for guidance and answers. I think so often we've been trained, right, over all of our lives to look externally for that validation, to look externally for what others are doing or for what we believe we should be doing. And we're kind of constantly looking out instead of really getting to know ourselves, know what that soul voice sounds like, know what that intuition feels like, know what it feels like when you have such clarity around an idea or something that you need to do. Just know those things about yourself because yeah, we've got to spend some time in silence by ourselves. Even if it's a commitment to say, you know what, three days a week, two days a week, even I'm going to spend 30 minutes in complete silence with myself. And I'm just going to listen to what dialogue is going there. And in the book, I even give a couple of examples of questions that you can ask yourself. I mean, one simple one that comes to mind right now is, what do I know to be true? I mean, just start that dialogue with yourself. Imagine where that starts to go. And then you know what the voice sounds like. You know what the intuition feels like. I think it's really powerful. So that's building the muscle. I love it. I love it. And speaking of your questions, there were so many great questions and prompts in the book that I love, but there were three questions that I really especially loved. One of them is, what are you pretending not to know? 
I was like, oh shit, that's a good question. I sat reading the, your book and I put the book down. I was like, oh my God, what am I pretending not to know? And for me, it, it like it took some time to get, but it, you know, our brains are wired to chew on good questions, and that question is a good one. I was pretending not to know that I was completely out of alignment with myself. I was pretending not to know that all of these illnesses and this nightmare had to do with the fact that I was making choices that I knew weren't right for me, that I was ignoring this little voice inside of me. And so, yeah, that one really, it still hits home, right? These are questions I ask myself all the time. I think it's a brilliant, it's like spiritual calisthenics, that question. The other, the other question I loved is how are you defining your success on your terms or someone else's? And I know that's not like, that's a question we've all heard before, but there's something about writing down literally, how are you defining success? In fact, I did this really fun exercise. Marie Forleo has like a decade in review exercise. My friend Jen and I were doing together. So fun. And it has you write down like everything that you're proud of, of having done over the last 10 years, write down why you're proud of it, and then circle the ones that are actually really important, like that, that line up with like, yeah, I definitely, I'm definitely living this life so I could get those things done. And what blew my mind is it made me realize that when I allow myself to define my success, so much of it, it has so little to do with money and so much to do with healthy relationships, healthy children, healthy family, healthy self, that it just helped me remind myself like, bitch, you didn't come here to make a bunch of money. You came here to be healthy and be in relationship with other people that are healthy. Amen, sister. And make an impact on this fucking world, right? Yes. Which you are doing. And it's, it's huge. And that means something different to everyone. And you're defining it in your own way. There's so many gems in what you just said. And so number one, shout out to Marie Forleo. I love her. I'm one of her biggest fans. And everything, everything is figure outable. Her latest book is so good. If you haven't recommended that to your listeners, I am recommending it. It's incredible. We can create our own virtual tribe. So in my book, you read this, I call it your personal board of directors. And so honestly, it is a brilliant way to say, who inspires me? Who sets the bar? For me, I wanted to create what I called my virtual board of directors so that every day I would wake up and say, what are these men and women doing that really set the bar in terms of the impact that they have in the world, in terms of the authenticity they have in the world, in terms of how brave they are in the they're making and what they're doing every single day. So I created one that has Oprah Winfrey on it. And of course, I've never met Oprah. Mine does too, girl. <laughs> hey. And by the way, like one day we're going to be sitting under the white oaks with Oprah. Like it's going to happen. Oh, your mouth to God's ear. Your mouth to God's ear. So just to say to everybody who's listening to this, you don't need to know all these people. And you're right. Like we don't always have, at least not initially on our journey, have access to these higher vibrational people, but we do have access in a way. 
And we can learn and grow with them by the example that they're setting in the world. And I think that's really important. And also just to notice, like when you are talking about your virtual advisory board and I'm talking about mine, you can hear the energy in our voices. You can hear that soaring vibration. And for those listening who maybe aren't set up with the best tribes around you, really pay attention. If you walk away from people feeling deflated or run down or just dragging, you can upgrade to this virtual level. You know, I really want people to get that because I think it's huge. But just to kind of wrap things up, because I'm trying so hard to keep 20 minutes with Bronwyn 20 minutes, but it's really, really fucking hard. I wanted to, I wanted to close with, I think, what might be the greatest question to launch the listeners off onto their own journey is I love this line where you say the thing that you get asked the most often is, how do you take a soulbatical? And your answer is, you create one. Tell us about that. How do we create a sabbatical, Shelley? So, I mean, one, read the book. <laughs> Shameless plug for self. No, but to be honest, I, I said that not tongue in cheek, but I said that really seriously. Like, you can create one. And the reason there are kind of these three different ways to approach sabbatical at the end of the book, and by the way, there are infinite number. I'm just giving you three categories to say, do you want to dip a toe in? Do you want to dip like half your body in the shallow end? Or do you want to cannonball into the deep end like I did? (laughs) And I give you kind of like those different versions of how do you do that? But I would say, honestly, one of the suggestions in the book is take this book on what might have otherwise been a vacation, carve out a week, carve out two weeks if you can, depending upon where you are in the world, take this book and take it seriously because there's a reason why there are what I call soul search sections at the end of each section of the book. That's where the questions are that you're referring to. There are questions peppered throughout the book, but the bulk of the questions are in these soul search sections and take like do this work. I joke in the book that that I was the person who would always ignore the workbook parts of, of anything that was supposed to be like personal development and growth for many, many years. And it's only when I started doing the work that there was dramatic change in my life. So I would say whether it's at home and you just create some time for yourself, whether you go away for a long weekend or a week, call it a mini sabbatical. Call it something where you are going to really like, you're going into the proverbial cave, you know, to to reference Joseph Campbell or Yoda, which is probably more culturally relevant today. You're going into the cave and you're learning about yourself because that's going to be your first light or, or beacon to understand what's my next step. What am I really feeling? Because so many of us are ignoring that feeling or we're numbing that feeling. And that's what I was doing for so long. I was numbing everything. So I wasn't coming face to face with the pain and the truth and all of that. And the only way to the other side is through that and to really spend time with it. That's it. And you know, the the other thing about doing this work and working through those workbook questions and all that good stuff, I find that the things that nourish my soul aren't things that are easy or that I'm like, oh, this will be easy. It's much easier to scroll Instagram or get on Netflix, but it doesn't fill your soul. So it's like, you have to be willing to face a little bit of discomfort when you first get rolling. And then it's like deep flow, so much fun. It's such a spacious intellectual and emotional place to be, to sit with these questions and sit with your work. 
But I think it's really, really important for us to know and understand and be honest with ourselves that language matters. Because there are people, I've had clients, I've had other people in my life say, well, you know, it's great that you did that, but I can't do that. I have to work. I have to do X, Y, and Z. And while that is true in many cases, and I, and I get it, I just invite everybody to really sit back and say, am I being honest with myself? Do I have to, or am I choosing to? If I have to, do I have to do it the way I'm currently doing it? Or to your point, Bronwyn, about the journey that you made over those five years, can I choose to be doing this a different way? Can I choose to be creating my life instead of living at the effect of it? And I would really invite everyone, that's in the book as well, I just invite everyone to sit with that because there's more that you can access than you're giving yourself credit for today. I can almost guarantee it. I love that. And honestly, Shelly, I can't think of a better place to end. Thank you so much. And congratulations on your book, baby. She's beautiful. Thank you so much. And thanks for being there at the beginning of the journey and inviting me back to talk about it. This was awesome. Thank you, Bronwyn. Bronwyn. 